Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss you are listening to missed apex podcast we live f1 welcome to missed apex podcast the title of today's show is mad max beyond the autodromo that title suggested by not stratton on Twitter, some close runners-up. Yay, Checo. Bit biased, that one, from me to pick that from Mark Malloy. And we've got Paul Burton, who came in with Fury, Fire and Fizzle. And Christopher Fonseca, who nearly won with Keeping It Hard for over 50 laps. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. Hola, Matthew. Hola, senor. Como esta? Mm, I understood those That's words. all I know. Okay, good. But then we're on about the same level. Matt, I, I really enjoyed that race, even though the hards lasted forever. Wasn't it lovely just to have that mixed up strategy? And genuinely, two thirds into the race, we, we did not know what was going to happen. I'd say 10 laps to go, we didn't know what was going to happen. And it was fantastic to see the multiplicity of approaches the teams took and to see which ones were ultimately successful and which ones didn't pan out as hoped, I guess you could say. We've got loads to talk about here on our Mexican Race Review. We are an independent podcast produced here in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined from the bedroom of PR genius and legend in the making, Chris Stevens. Hey, Chris. Hey, Spanners. This is my uh, second race of the day, actually, having just spent the day at Silverstone with our mutual friend, Pip Hammond. Oh, fantastic. Pip uh, competing in the 750 Club. Is that is that the one he's in? 
750 Motor Club, the Club Enduro uh, Championship, came second today and just finished second in the championship. Well, let's see if I can best him. I'm going to be driving a stripped-out Peugeot 306 uh, at Silverstone myself on Friday. So we'll see how I get on there. Uh, We're also joined by someone who I had, if I'm honest, the opportunity to invite to come with me to drive the Peugeot 306, but I didn't want him to ruin that particular day by showing me exactly how fast that car could have gone. But it is VLN Series champion Bradley Philpott. How's it going, Brad? It's going well. It's going well. I'm glad that I managed to get online and uh, and I really enjoyed the race today. And you are fully in celebration mode after yet another Nordschleifer win. I'm coming down from yesterday's <laughs> celebration mode. I had rather too much to drink last night and I spent all day today suffering for it. What kind of racing driver would you be if you didn't celebrate a race win by partying hard into the night? I I just listened to Jason Plato's autobiography this week. And so I think I took a bit of inspiration from that. And um, and yeah, uh, had quite a bit. Fantastic. Loads to talk about today in qualifying. Well, Matt, I think we're going to skip straight to the big stuff. Uh, the weather didn't quite emerge today, so it, it was it was dry, and Verstappen really stamped his mark pace-wise over that qualifying session. Yeah, FP3 was not really very helpful to the teams, um, and to the surprise of, you know, not me at least, uh, Verstappen came out and was fastest. It was not clear when we got to the first session if that they were going to be able to maintain their pace. But it was clear by the time we got to the last session that, that they had managed to get the Red Bull set up and to get the Honda power unit really delivering on a track that, due to its altitude, clearly is not as power sensitive as some of the others that we have on the calendar. Well, when you look at the, um, the overlay between uh, Leclerc and Verstappen, you'll see that the Red Bull was quicker in every single corner. Really? But, but the Ferrari was quicker on every single straight. And I think they were gaining something ridiculous. Like uh, on all the straights combined, uh, they're looking at nine tenths of a second advantage, but they're losing a lot of that in, in those corners. But of course, there was one corner that Max went through slightly too quickly. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Hold your horses. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, with Ferrari doing well on the straight bits and Red Bull doing well on the twisty, twisty bits, it meant that Mercedes were kind of out of the running. We'd almost written Mercedes off. So it kind of didn't matter so much to the pole time when Valtteri Bottas uh, put it in the wall. But I'll go to Brad for that to find out what went wrong. It looked like he just had an oversteer moment. Yeah, so he did obviously have an oversteer moment, which is is where it began to go wrong. But the reason he actually ended up in the wall, I was studying this just before uh, before the race today, and I'm absolutely certain the reason that the front of the car ended up getting stuffed in the wall is because as he corrected that initial oversteer, the rear of the car touched the wall, yeah, and that kind of flung him left. It looked at first glance just like a big overcorrection. It just looked like he'd turned hard left into the wall, but it was only really the touch of the left rear wheel on the wall, which actually then pulled the rest of the car in. So it wasn't quite as big a mistake as it initially looked. I just run down from from the upstairs of a hotel having a posh meal to catch the very end of qualifying yesterday. And that's the first thing I saw was Bottas going in the wall. So, um, so, um, so you will have a unique perspective as far as this panel goes on, on what that was like for Bottas. Because once his rear touched the wall, it sort of, it pulled the front in and it snapped him in. It broke the front suspension on the left. And then he's a passenger at that point. 
And then obviously the, the barriers. Do you understand what was going on with the barriers? They were kind of sticking out. It was like a, an extra bit of tyre wall. What's that like for a driver when you know you're a complete passenger? I haven't uh, had it happen to me too many times, fortunately. I've not really hit that many walls. But but yeah, um, basically there's these plastic tech pro barriers that are built up in several layers, obviously starting with one layer uh, initially um, to then get wider and wider towards an area where there's more likely to be a heavy impact, which would tend to be a bit further around the corner. Um, and he was just unfortunate to to nose into the the very beginning of the tech pro barriers and they're all filled with water um so oh, they are, are they? pretty heavy oh, yeah right. they uh, they all they're all filled up with water and so you see when um hulkenberg and on the last lap of the race ended up going backwards into one you see all the water spill out of them but yeah it would have been a nasty hard impact that yeah um to my understanding the tech pro barriers aren't really meant to take impacts the way that botas hit that one. And I'm just curious, looking at that as a racing driver, I mean, looking at that as a, I guess you'd call me a civilian, for lack of a better word, I look at that tech pro barrier protruding that way at that point, um, and I think that doesn't seem like the best way to set it up. Uh, is that something that you noticed as well, or is there always going to be stuff like that on a racetrack and there's only so much you can do? Yeah, so basically, they aren't designed to be hit. Um, end on. They are designed to be hit in the middle, obviously. Um, but without having a bespoke, um, tapered piece, which it shouldn't be too difficult to build, really, should it? Uh, for uh, something very specific like Formula One, where lots of money is spent on lots of very bespoke things. Um, but yeah, because there is no tapered end to those tech pro barriers, you basically just have one width at the beginning. Um, and they generally set them up in a way that you, you have the areas of the corner where you're likely to hit. And he just, because of the way he lost the car and he slid along the concrete, he just ended up at, at the end of it. And I don't think they planned for that. Okay, well, that just about covers qualifying. So let's move on. Oh, no, hang on a minute. No, there was there was something else, wasn't there? So obviously, Bottas was leading Hamilton out. But then the controversy started because Leclerc had already ruined his second run. So I think Leclerc had done that to himself. Uh, going wide through the stadium section, Chris? Uh, he said the, the Ferrari um, made a, a small setup change just on the front end. He wanted a bit more uh, front end, but then it destabilized the rear. So the time he gained in the first sector on his second lap, he then lost in the third sector, and that's why he didn't improve his oh, time. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good racing driver excuse. I'll, I'll remember that when I don't do, do well at karting. What did I, I did an adjustment to the front end. So I did an adjustment to my seat position and that destabilized me. Uh, uh, but in any case, that ruined it, the, the qualifying for, for cars coming through. So I, I, uh, I didn't see so much about Hamilton lifting because he didn't get as much attention and didn't get a penalty. However, it happened right in front of him. So obviously the yellow flags didn't have a chance to come out. There's a racing driver instinct, I suppose, when a car peels off to simply look for the fastest line through. Uh, but also, it looked like he did lift as well. I think it's a human reaction. Um, I remember being on the Staten Island Expressway one time at like 3.30 in the morning and getting passed by a car doing, oh, I don't know, easily 100 miles an hour and trying to, looks like it was warming up its tires like Formula One cars do down the grid. And I thought, boy, that's going to go very wrong. And it did. The guy hit the guardrail, spun off in front of me. And I had started braking long before the actual impact, because I could see he was losing control of the car. Perhaps he was asleep. I don't know. And I suspect if you were trailing Botas at that time, 
and you see him going along the wall towards the tech bro barrier, you're automatically thinking, I don't know where he's going to go when he hits that thing. So I'm going to back off and keep myself out of trouble as best I can. Uh, okay. So I just wanted to address that because as soon as Vettel, uh, sorry, as soon as Verstappen got that penalty, you got this massive swathe of what aboutism? But what about Hamilton? But what about Hamilton? It looks like he lifted. If anyone knows any better or wants to dispute that, do let me know. But I think it's fair to say the focus was on what Max Verstappen did. And I, from my point of view, it looked like that yellow flag came out in time. So the yellow flag was there. However, the F1 Twitter account, when showing the replay of Verstappen going through the incident, had to darken everything out except a small circle which highlighted the yellow flag. And if they're doing that, that demonstrates one thing, which is that it's not immediately obvious. And when I watched it back without uh, without that little circle, I, I, I missed it. I missed it even though I was looking for it. So I have some sympathy with Max Verstappen for missing the yellow flag. There is some talk as well that the, the impact from Bottas damaged the Marshall Post, Chris, so that he wasn't able to see the yellow on his dash line. But nobody else seemed to miss it, so <laughs> okay. I I can't really have sympathy for Max in that regard. Uh, okay, Matt. Yeah, no. Uh, the FIA said that he destroyed the uh, sensor there at that Marshall post, so the boards did not display a yellow because they were you know broken by the car. Okay, so I have some sympathy there. How I, I will say that Red Bull immediately knew that he'd done something wrong because their first defense was there was no yellow, so they set their stall up for. We know that he's gone through there at full pace. And I think, despite some Twitter dispute, I think he did go through there as normal. Silly thing is, he didn't need that lap. He didn't need to improve. He was already on provisional pole. Nobody else was going quicker. Leclerc had already uh, not improved. And nobody else was going to improve because of the Bottas incident. It was a totally unnecessary penalty that he picked himself up. So the the two things that upset me, I suppose that is 2.5, is that it was unnecessary. But in that moment, do you really think, ah, well, I was leading after the first run and nobody else looks to be improving, therefore I'll lift off and give it up. The two things that obviously upset us are the press conference, where he seemed to show absolutely no remorse or no uh, concern whatsoever for what he'd done. And the second thing is, Brad, and, and you can correct me here, I think, is surely the car in the barrier is enough of an indication to slow down. Even if you've missed the yellow flags, don't you say that is my colleague, possibly my friend, he's in the barriers, now is the time to, to lift, this isn't about this quali lap now. So there's a, there's a couple of different mindsets. One will just be that he knows he's on an improving lap and he just, the, the key thing that overrides everything is that he's right near the end of a and he's improving and he just wants to finish it. And I know from a lot of experience how frustrating it is when you're on a good lap, a, a better lap, you're on an improvement lap and something happens, a crash or whatever, that brings out yellow flags and it means it's going to ruin it. I, I had it just yesterday, um, all through my race stint yesterday, I had constant crashes that would spoil what would have been a record lap. And and so the the number one thing is, and this isn't very sensible from him, the number one thing is he just wants to get that lap done. Obviously, pragmatically, that in hindsight is definitely not the right thing to do. I would argue, though, that the car being there in the barrier isn't quite enough for a really super competitive driver who's nearly at the finish line to back off. He, he will need the, a clear yellow to, to, 
tell him that, you know, to make sure he has to back off. Otherwise there'll be a penalty. It, your mindset as a driver is, mm. well, that is that guy's fault. He crashed. So I'm, I'm, you know, he's the one that's put himself in the barrier. I'm not slowing down for him. As long as it's obviously <laughs> clear, as long as the track isn't blocked and there's no marshals literally stood there. I think, um, okay, so the first point I'd say is really don't have the judgment or the time to see if marshals are, are out. They might be on their way there. Uh, F1, yeah, F1, Mia Ham says, Max admitted he saw the flags. He, well, in any case, Max, uh, Matt, he certainly admitted in that press conference that he had, he was definitely aware there was an accident. Okay. I missed the press conference. Uh, oh, okay. Cool. What, what I, I mean, I know there was controversy. I saw his immediate remarks, but I didn't see him admit okay. that, yeah. that he saw the yellow flags. But the point that I would make, and, and I think, you know, what it goes to is there are, in effect, two systems for telling drivers there are flags on the course. One of them is the actual people with the actual flags, and the other is the electronic boards and uh, signal on their dash. So if Max were to have perhaps cleverly said, well, there was no signal on my dash, I turned the corner, and I saw him in the wall, I didn't see the yellow flag because I was looking at my apex, and it was just, yeah, you would think there'd be a yellow, but there was no yellow on my car. And so I was just unclear. Mm -hmm. And given that state as a race driver who's paid to go as fast as possible under all circumstances, I didn't slow down there until it was clear to me it was a wreck. And I should have because his very last mini sector was was a bit slower. Okay, Th that that could have been a plausible explanation. Now, I'm not saying that's what actually happened, but I think there's some room in the rules, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, so just to pick up on on one of your points there, I, I would hope that the training for young drivers isn't always go as fast as possible all the time. As much as that would make a great movie script, I would hope that it would be similar to boxing coaches where they would say, protect yourself at all times. Like You, you, you cannot win races if you're severely injured. Uh, Brad? Um, just sticking up for Max again slightly here. Um, not all yellow flags are equal. And it was it a single yellow that was out at that time? Uh, yes. I, however, it had been made clear by the stewards that a single yellow still warranted you to take speed off. Uh, it, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and I, you know, I, I'm not saying that he did the right thing in any way. All I'm saying is that I've I've heard a lot of commentary on this, uh, treating it as if he sped very closely past um, an obstacle which was in his path, and there were obvious double waved yellows or, or whatever. And you are, you're trained, uh, you're not specifically trained, but you go through your racing life learning that a, a single yellow isn't the same. If it's a, if it's a big enough incident, if there are people on the track, if there are people working there, and if it's dangerous enough, there will be more yellows or there'll be, um, you know, virtual safety car or a red flag, or there will be something more obvious. And if you don't have a light in the cockpit and there's only a single yellow at the side of the track and mm -hmm. you can clearly see there's nothing in the track in front of you. Okay. It's not, it's not such a clear, you have to definitely slow down. And I believe there are a number of ways he could have explained it in the press conference where he could have easily got off the hook. Okay. It wasn't yeah. that heinous an offense. I think one, one place we're going to have to fundamentally disagree is that I, I strongly think that car in the wall on the, on the exit or in the potential firing line, very close to the track like that, 
I I would would hope, you know, if that was my kid sat in the barrier, that the other drivers were going to pay more attention to that. That's how I feel. I'm not a racing driver and I'm not the rule maker, so I'm not going to fight you too hard on that. Uh, getting to the press conference and getting to basically, he got away with it. He had got away with it. The FIA were not going to investigate this. And here's here's how the back and forth went. Max Verstappen said uh, he got asked, you know, did you see the crash? And Max said, I was aware Bottas had crashed. The journalist then asked, did you back off? Max said, it didn't really look like it, did it? Then smirked, laughed and looked very awkward. And there was a sort of hushed silence around the room. Because A, sorry Max Verstappen fans, okay, I, I do not have a bias towards Max Verstappen or against him. So if this was Lewis Hamilton or Sebastian Vettel, you could pick me up for my, my normal biases. But for me, A, it showed a, just a massive lack of respect for the danger of sport and for other drivers. And that upset me. That made me very, very uncomfortable. B, it was just stupid because he completely shocked himself and he didn't have an excuse ready. So I think Matt and Brad have got some alternative things that he could have had lined up. Matt, what should he have said? Well, uh, aside from what I've already put forward, I think the simplest thing to say was that I just wasn't certain what was going on until I was by it. Because if you think about how fast he's going, because we all watch it in slow motion and there's like five or six seconds. I mean, you come around that turn, you're already looking for your next apex. It's out of the corner of your eye. He becomes aware of the crash. And by time you even think, oh, hey, I haven't seen a yellow on my dash. What should I do? You're already by him. So right off the bat, that's a very easy explanation, which is I'm human. It takes time to react to situations. And I was in a situation where there wasn't an automatic choice. There wasn't a yellow on my dash. There wasn't a yellow board. There was a yellow flag that I didn't even see. I think the the thing which would have easily got him off the hook is just to say, um, I was in the middle. By the time I realized what was actually happening, I was in the middle of a corner where you don't lift. Lifting off could have been dangerous. It could have unsettled the car. I thought the best thing to do was do exactly what I know, um, which is stay on the throttle. And by the time I realized what had happened, I was on the straight. There was nothing in front of me and I cleared the zone. And I think he, if he just said that and said, um, normally I would have lifted off, but there, these were the extenuating circumstances, he would have just been given the pole and, and allowed it to stand. Okay. And you guys, I, I completely respect the racing driver position. I'm actually surprised how... Uh, fair you guys have been on Max and and uh, it would be interesting to hear from you guys uh, listening spannersready at gmail.com or you can comment on the YouTube channel or you can comment at uh, com. the post is there always lovely to hear your comments but I genuinely think before I let Brad have the last word that he didn't care it seems to me like he did not care there was a car crash there. He just wanted to get the best pole lap he could. He was going for pole position. He then realized he'd done something wrong, came up tactically with a poor excuse and had just a stinking rotten attitude in the press conference. And frankly, for the attitude alone, like I've said before, like when there's a penalty, the response of the player, of the driver, should come into account as well. So you backchat the stewards. 10 more grid places. I think he was a very, very lucky boy, Brad, to get away with just a three-place grid drop. My, my last word that I was going to say is I do agree with you and I do think what he did was wrong and I think his reaction was wrong and I think the question in the press conference 
surprised him in a way it shouldn't have done. Someone from the team should have had a quiet word and said, Max, just be prepared. Someone might ask you a question like this because it really looked like he was taken by surprise. And the final thing I wanted to say is I've just come from several years of racing a championship where you have very specific meanings for different types of yellow flag. And uh, for example, a single yellow doesn't mean slow down at all. Yesterday, I passed an ambulance at 145 miles an hour because it's only a single yellow. Um, and it, it's only when you have enforced speed limits where double yellow, for example, means you have to go 120 kilometers per hour or lower, or you will be penalized, um, or, or code 60 when it's pink and you have to go 60, then, then you'll definitely get people slowing right down. Um, so yeah, if they wanted people to completely slow down, they could put, um, put out a, do they do virtual safety car in qualifying? Is that actually a thing? No, it's not a thing. I don't think so. But let me just read uh, 9.2, which I believe was the stewards uh, from the stewards document. Uh, that's what Matt was going to point out. Good. Uh, single wave. Drivers should reduce their speed and be prepared to change direction. It must be clear that a driver has reduced speed. And in order for this to be clear, a driver would be expected to have braked earlier and or discernibly reduced speed in the relevant marshalling sector. So you're right, Brad. There was a specific instruction for a single yellow flag. And it looks like he broke it. Hey, it's Max is a young guy, okay? He will have had a debrief. He'll have settled down and been told, just keep a calm, level head for the race and everything's going to be okay. And they didn't hear about Max Verstappen again for the whole race, Matt. Oh, this is where we turn to you and ask you, where the race was won and lost in a fantastically tactical race that, in all honesty, no one could call. Yeah, no one could call it. And in fact, it was such a tangled mess that I I think I've offshored a lot of the explanation to some of our later topics. But in essence, that yellow flag and the subsequent penalty was the start of where the race was absolutely lost for Max Verstappen. And that wove seamlessly with the first lap battle that Hamilton and Verstappen had after Vettel ever so carefully took him halfway onto the grass as he got a very good start and was trying to get round Vettel and suck up all that lovely toe that Charlie Leclerc was laying down for whichever car could get closest to his exhaust. Okay, I guess we'll go to uh, those specific battles in whose fault is this? Let's focus on the strategy first, though, Matt. So it, it shook out with, with what both Ferraris was it at the front, and then Albon lined up in third place, uh, a McLaren randomly ruining things in fourth place, followed by Hamilton, and then Bottas and Verstappen, something like that. That's where we were at. Yeah, I, I, I think I think uh, Bottas was around seventh or eighth. Several cars had gotten in between them, and Verstappen was most unhappy after his rally cross incident and desperate to get round. And coming into, I think it was turn 12, he had a lovely move on Bottas. And as he turned in, he touched, or Bottas kept it in a bit long. We'll, we'll argue that later. Yeah. Um, and... Bang, there goes his rear tire, race over. So that's one player out of the game. Yeah, and obviously the McLarens were always going to get swamped eventually, and they admitted they knew as much, but they, they did have this specific goal, the McLarens, of making a nuisance of themselves in the early phase of the race. And and I think much like the Arcadians in the in the film 300, they made a good show of themselves with an awful bloody mess of things. Yeah, so that was great, but we were left with five contenders and we didn't know the way the race was going to go 
But I think one of the things that really got inside the team's heads was the high tyre wear that we saw in practice sessions and Pirelli coming out and saying, we think two stops is the way to go. So there was already this mindset that it was going to be two stops. Have you actually brought up the subject of tires? Because, oh my, I cannot believe this. I love tires. It's my favorite. So let's talk about it real quick. Yeah, I was convinced, everyone was convinced it was a two-stop, maybe even a three-stop for some teams, like, for example, the midfielders starting on the softs. However, there was one key difference at the race, which is the track temperature was much, much hotter. Now, the problems the teams had been having with the tires were down to graining, and that often happens at cooler temperatures. And it had Ah. hotted up enough that suddenly what was absolutely looking to be a nailed on two stopper like like we saw ferrari do uh, a couple of weeks ago uh swung over into suddenly we can make this tire last forever at least in the first stint on the medium tire which we saw uh hamilton do and we saw vettel do in a, a really amazing job of keeping his tires alive and good pace in them far longer than anyone predicted. So the whole thing was just tossed up in the air. And what the first thing that caught Ferrari up was they had Leclerc in the lead. Albon, I believe, was in third. And round about uh, lap 14, Albon comes in, which is sort of the opening of the pit window for the two-stop strategy. Now, now, Red Bull really do like this, uh, getting the cat amongst the pigeons, go for that early undercut, perhaps look at more stops and and perhaps look at faster stints they don't mind doing that at all but the fact that they pitted that early should really should that not have been an immediate clue to ferrari oh maybe red bull aren't in this because it looks like the teams that are going to manage the tires best is going to be the team that wins they kind of played themselves covering off red bull immediately yeah you did you know you anticipate very well the question i had which is yes they could have been covering albin off but equally, they could have been trying to provoke Mercedes into following them into a strategy they knew Mercedes couldn't beat because of their ability to use the tires to go quickly mm. on, the, on the straights. Uh, but as it turns out in an interview after the race, Leclerc very much said that they were covering off Albon. But that also suggests that they thought Red Bull yeah. was their number one contender. And, and OK, it's easy to say in hindsight that they weren't a contender today. But in previous history... They have been a contender at Mexico, so you can understand that. But um, but if we go, you know, over to you there, Chris uh, at Chris on Racing on Twitter. In the end, essentially, what Albon did was pit himself out of contention and into no man's land, and Leclerc just followed him. I think uh, saying Red Bull weren't the contenders is maybe not the best uh, way of putting it because I think uh, Verstappen certainly could have won that race uh, uh just maybe not uh, albon um I, I was quite surprised to see ferrari uh kind of follow red bull on that but also to, to split their strategies um as well between leclerc and, and vettel that's all right matt there's someone at your study door and this is this is what happens life life gets in the way i'm going to put a note there 32 minutes to edit life interrupted you matt Thank you very much. Life has been dispensed with. Uh, that would actually be my dinner that is now not being eaten by me and will be savagely marauded by my daughter, no doubt. Um, it was a surprise, unless you think they're trying to provoke them. They weren't trying to provoke them. And I'm with Chris on this very much. 
if it had been Verstappen making that move, they'd have been all over it. And perhaps rightly so. But Albon just simply lacks the experience with the tires to be any kind of a serious threat to Ferrari. And furthermore, now this is the thing that did surprise me. When Leclerc came in, and perhaps this is because they put Albon back on medium tires, they didn't put him on the hard tire. They put him on another set of mediums. And that was a disastrous choice by them. Utterly disastrous because they left themselves no flexibility with regards to strategy down the road. For example, I could point out Ricardo going 51 laps on hard tires. And they had also pitted Leclerc because he had been complaining about being undercut by Vettel. So they gave him the first bite at that apple, and it wound up from, I believe, was it Singapore that we saw this happen? Coming back to bite him and the team <laughs> attempting to be fair and make him feel like they weren't just trying to let Vettel win all the time. I have to say, there's a chat room comment, Matt, DDTV213 says, Matt should be allowed his dinner in the shed. Hashtag feed Matt. No, I demand ultimate commitment. Matt may only be fueled by whiskey during the show. Uh, so there's there's two major tactical roles of the dice left. You've got uh, basically Bottas and Hamilton out, looking like they could go on forever, Chris. And you've got Sebastian Vettel in much the same position. Has to be said, at this point, it's looking commanding for Ferrari, for Sebastian Vettel, and then it's Mercedes' turn to roll the dice. And I think the the big question on everyone's mind is, how much was this tactical masterstroke and how much was this, you know, Jensen Button 50-50 claim credit if we win and if we don't, just quietly forget about it? Well, I think, well Pirelli said you can do 50 laps on a hard tyre and that's... Well, they ended up doing less. It was 48 laps, wasn't it, on the hard tyre? So uh, I don't think it was actually all that much of a of a gamble. I think track position is so key and it's hard to overtake uh, around the Mexico circuit, as we were saying in our preview as well. Track position is king. And, and for me, Ferrari made their second mistake, which was uh, Sebastian Vettel uh, very overconfidently saying, oh, let him go. Oh, him really? Go. Right. Okay. I, uh, Matt's going to argue with the first thing you said. And I'm going to argue with the let, the let them go thing. Okay. Yeah, I would argue because the temperatures of the track alone should have necessitated not another stint on the mediums it, because the car would be lightest at the end of the race. And that's when you'd want the extra speed of those mediums to carve your way back through the field. The hard tire gives you a bigger window, window to run a longer stint. And as we were already seeing from Ricardo's performance, was doing much better than the teams would have expected. Now, in their defense, there wasn't a lot of data at that temperature with this tire. Most teams only bring one, bring three sets and only one car runs them. So to a certain extent, I can understand it, but you leave yourself no strategic flexibility. With the second set of tires, you fulfill the sporting regs and you can go to the end if there's, let's say, a 10-lap safety car. Yeah, so you may as well have, have tried it then. You know, you're, you're, you're there, you're in a race-winning position. If You may as well go for it. You know, if there's, if you need another stop at the end, okay, fine. You need another stop at the end. But I think the higher temperatures actually not so much helped out the tower, but it helped uh, the graining phase just marginally anyway. And let's not forget that there was really one team that ran the hard tire in any real capacity during practice. And that was Mercedes. Okay, so I'm going to argue with you, Chris, on criticising Vettel for the let them go, because I I think he was absolutely spot on there. Mercedes really surprised everyone because they're not normally 
that proactive. They are not normally on the front foot. They're normally very good at reacting to what has happened and then making the best of it. Here, I think they completely surprised Ferrari by going for it and just going for an undercut. And I, like so many other people, thought this is a huge mistake. This is not a track where track position is king. This is not a track where you just want to undercut and then try and stay ahead like you would at Monaco or Singapore. But if they had just box, box, box the lap after, Vettel would have just lined up behind Lewis Hamilton and there would have been absolutely no chance. Sebastian Vettel was absolutely correct to say they've got us. The only chance now is preserve tyres and be on better tyres at the end. I think they had a good enough gap that they'd be able to beat him out of the pits after one lap, especially. I don't know. I what, was the under- been fine. what was the undercut worth? Do we know? Not a lot. Oh, okay. All right. Well, um, it's, it depends how it's accurate sp- you think that the graphic that comes up, Brad, that says, oh, they've got a 50% chance or whatever. I was going to say the undercut is how effective it is depends massively on whether or not you come out behind someone, which happened quite a lot today. Um, people's attempts at undercuts being ruined by a car just getting past them at the end of the straight. Um, and I wanted to mention, we've had Chris saying that um, track position's king and Yusman is saying that this track, maybe track position isn't king. Yeah. And the thing that was really noticeable was it, it was possible to overtake people, obviously, if you could get close enough, but it was very difficult to get close because of the overheating rather than um, dirty air causing aerodynamic problems. It was causing brake temperature problems. And, you know, the, the Mercedes, for example, can only ever get close to a Ferrari for a lap and a half before they were being told to drop back. Um, so I think that was probably the most difficult, uh, the thing that was making overtaking the most difficult. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So yes, it was a track where you could overtake. However, even uh, Bottas was being told, get out of, get out of Vettel's, you know, cooling area, not not cooling area, get out of his draft so you could get some clean air and, and cool down, cool down your brakes. Matt, there's a, there's a couple of bits I want to move on to here because there was opportunities for perhaps Ferrari to stay out even longer because here's how I saw it. Hamilton came out, absolutely panicked, was not happy. And I don't for a second believe this was part of a master plan. I just think Hamilton came out, literally saw, I've got a billion laps to go on one set of tyres. I've felt this initial graining and I don't like it. Because initially, he made up loads and loads of time. I think he felt the graining, panicked, realised that they were in his ear going, no, 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 we're going to win. And he's in the car thinking, these guys are going to leave me out on a one-stopper. I'll show those guys. And he slowed down. So he stopped catching Vettel and the gap stayed static. Now, that can't have been simply because he'd run out of tyres. He was just, that. that's the point where he was playing the long game. So Vettel, knowing that, he knows he's not really building a tyre wear advantage because Hamilton is just sitting there managing that gap. So for Vettel, he could, could he not have stayed out even longer? But then they decided that they were going to cover off, again, cover off another car. They then decided to cover off Bottas. Yeah, which brings us back to the undercut because at that point, Bottas was just about three seconds back of Vettel. And... If they hadn't acted, then absolutely, um, Botas would have been in front of Vettel. But as it is, they came in the following lap and that three seconds wasn't enough for him to get in front of Vettel. So that tells you a little bit about where the undercut was. Uh, he was already losing time. His tires were already starting to go. And I think that's why it also was a good move. I think the thing you have to bear in mind about Lewis's comments as well and why I was a little bit. I felt they were slightly exaggerated was that no car around Mexico 
kind of looked or probably felt good because there's so little downforce and you just see them skating about so much. And because there was no rubber laid down on the track, they're always graining. It's really hard to get tire temperatures. So you've got no aero grip, you've got no mechanical grip, and they're just skating around all over the place, which was really refreshing to see. But I, I doubt you would have got many drivers saying, oh, yeah, car feels great. So one thing I've noticed uh, over the years is that drivers have a a disproportionate um, uh, criticism level towards tyres that are going off, um, that people who are objectively looking at the situation from the outside, from the pit wall, don't necessarily have. So when a driver starts to sense tyre performance dropping away, if you gave them the choice of, do you want to come in to change tyres to something that's going to feel more grippy and obviously lose track position and lose time, but you're going to be able to go out and fight and push hard again, or do you want to stay out and and uh, you know not lose that time and have to deal with these um, tyres which feel like they're losing grip? The driver will more often than not choose the former, even if objectively that's the slower way to do it. They have this disproportionate reaction because it's just not pleasant driving around and knowing that it's probably not going to get better. Tires quite rarely, unless it's just a graining phase, quite rarely improve through a stint. Um, so Lewis has this a lot. Uh, I'm sure everyone's noticed it and he'll complain straight away. Yeah. Um, and and he doesn't have the benefit of being sat there on the pit wall looking it with a calm head he's got all the adrenaline yeah. and, hot in and the car he can't see the other drivers who are struggling the same amount yeah yeah and and he all he knows is that in his mind he wants to just be able to push really hard because you have this self-belief that well i know i'm going to lose time but uh, if you put me on fresh tires i can push really hard and i'll make it back i can do that and that's i noticed that a lot especially with Lewis yeah so perhaps uh, underrated the role of his his normal race engineer Bono who's normally in his ear and they had to they had to bring in the big gun didn't they they had to have the the Ross Braun style voice of God come in like Lewis it, it's James like we're, we're gonna be fine but when Lewis is complaining about the tyres it tells you nothing it tells you absolutely yeah. nothing about how the race is actually gonna pan out and I think in the end Matt it, with hindsight, the Mercedes pit wall could look at uh, initially actually Verstappen. Didn't he bolt on hards straight away after his after his puncture? And they could yep. look at Ricciardo, who was continuing Renault's tactic of let's just leave Ricciardo out forever in every single race and just see what happens. So actually, Mercedes did have this constant. If they'd have seen Verstappen's pace, and if they'd have seen Ricciardo's pace start to dip off. And uh, me and Treeface were watching the timings, and it really wasn't. Verstappen was keeping the pace, and if anything, was putting in personal best sectors at certain points. So they knew from a, a long way out that it wasn't going to happen. So in the end, not perhaps the miracle run that it looked like. In fact, it reminded me of 2015 Sochi, where Rosberg uh, locked up and had to change his 2014 Sochi, sorry, yeah, Chris. Yes, I knew that. Uh, we, it was the first season at Sochi, wasn't it? So we didn't understand the the surface. Went onto the hards on the second lap and still managed to fight back to second place. And, and and I think that may have been an element here, Chris, where we just didn't understand how well the tyres were going to last on this track in these conditions. I think as well, you know, uh, teams won't mind uh, a driver who complains a lot as long as he's winning races. It's when you get a driver who complains a lot and doesn't win races Grosjean. and they start yeah, to get... Grosjean. Yeah, I didn't want to say it, but yeah. <laughs> so somebody asked me before the race, you know, who should I bet on to be first out? And I was like, Grosjean. 
always bet on Grosjean. And then he's involved straight away in that incident. So I will put it down to a great win from the Mercedes pit wall, a fantastic drive from Lewis Hamilton. He was he had this reputation of being a tyre muncher, but I think the eons are, are proving that he's incredibly good on the tyre wear. In fact, I was explaining how the race would go to my son uh, before it started. I was saying it's going to be critical on tyres today. So look out for the guys that are traditionally good on tyres to do well. Vettel, Hamilton, Perez. And so it seemed to pan out. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we get to the rest of the field and the adventures of Max in the Autodromo, I think we'd need to play a little game. Whose fault is it? Okay, guys, you know the rules by now. Whose fault is it is based absolutely on my marriage. There is no racing incidents in the Spanners household. If our house was on fire, we would have to assign blame before escaping. And when we decided it was my fault, then we could collect the precious cargo of the the pets, our hard drives, and maybe one of the children. So we're going to play Whose Fault Is This? Racing incident is not an option. I guess we start right at the start line uh, with Vettel's crowding of Lewis Hamilton. I'm going to look around my panel. Does anyone think that move was cool? Just hands up, show of hands. So Brad thinks that move was cool. Matt thinks that move was cool. Okay, so I will just get this very intelligent point in first before I go to Brad. That move was absolute filth, you dirty, smegging git face, Vettel. How how can that not be completely dirty? He just drove him off the track, Brad. Okay, so um, you remember as part of the lane system, um, when you're in a corner um, and you have this kind of consent where both cars are moving in the same direction. Um, in that instance, um, you're effectively allowed to move into other people's lanes because you're, both drivers are moving in the same direction for a period of time and there's like this consent. And in this situation, uh, at the start line, I appreciate that on a corner, um, 
the fact that Lewis allowed Vettel to push him wide gives Vettel the consent required to to continue and do it. If Lewis had stayed straight and not turned left onto the grass and Vettel had continued to move across, he would have touched him or he would have not continued to move across. So it's the reason that it wasn't penalised is because he only uh-huh. he only um, squeezed him enough to put, you say, one wheel on the grass. So it didn't look like a very big thing. But I actually, in my view, Vettel wasn't at fault for anything because Lewis... Lewis let him push him across. Lewis didn't stand his ground and drive in a straight line. He he moved to the left. Okay, but Chris, the rules as written would appear to say that under the crowding rule, you cannot just drive a driver off the track if any part of their car is alongside. Let's go to Chris first. Yeah, the, the thing about just allowing somebody to shove you off the track is that, well, I seem to remember Lewis being quite heavily criticised for some reason in the horrendous Spa 2012 start incident where Grosjean tried to move across him and Lewis stayed straight and what resulted was utter carnage. So which which one is, is right? Well, the, the thing is, we'll never know whether Vettel would have, would have actually driven Lewis off the track because Lewis took the decision himself to drive himself off the track. If he'd stayed straight and Vettel had driven across and hit him, is then straight away Sebastian's fault, but okay. that situation wasn't allowed to play out. That's okay, well let's go. Let's go to to Matt next. But I, I have to say, I fundamentally disagree that the crowding is only crowding if the driver allows himself to get hit. I think that someone can still do something bad, and you're basically saying if I if I do something bad, but I convince you that I'm going to break the rules, and I convince you enough to avoid having a potentially really dangerous argument somehow it's just like, ha, 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 you, you uh, scaredy cat, it, now I get away with it, Matt. Yeah, okay, so my view of this is somewhat similar to Brad's in that it was very clear from the first about half a second or so that Vettel was headed directly for the back of Leclerc's car. Absolutely positively, he was drawing a line there. Hamilton saw that closing wedge, he had enough speed, he thought he could get alongside and keep Vettel from closing the door. He tried it. Vettel was far enough ahead and he backed up. End of. I mean, is is very, to me, that's standard one plus one equals two kind of racing maneuver. Had Vettel carried on and put him three wheels or four wheels off, you have a different situation. I would agree. But you'll notice Vettel took it about as far as one would expect and didn't push farther. Hamilton realizing the situation backed out and that is racing i'm sorry no no no, no is racing no no i think i think where where i would disagree with that brad is that he hamilton had the choice to either move on to the grass break or or hit vettel and then it but if he had hit vettel vettel then it becomes someone who has committed an offense i just i can't something's not marrying up with me there i, I think the rule is you're not allowed to drive in a manner that forces a driver off track and that Vettel's actions forced Lewis Hamilton to either go off track or hit. I think that's heavily implied. Force a driver to go off track or hit the car that is forcing him to go off track. Uh, my point is really that I think Hamilton did the right thing in not staying yeah. firm. Oh yeah, no, in, absolutely. In all likelihood, Vettel would have continued across and they probably would have touched. But in terms of penalising, unless... Unless you can, you don't know what would have happened if Hamilton had stayed straight. So you don't know whether Seb would have stopped and given him 
that space. He didn't need to give him a car's width because Hamilton gave Seb extra room to move into by moving out of the way before Seb got there. Do you see what I mean? So it's if, if we're talking about giving Sebastian a penalty for that, yeah, then that in my mind can only happen if if Hamilton um stays in the same yeah, position. Well, I mean, Le- Leclerc did the same thing to Hamilton. Hamilton also got out of the way and he at least got the black and white don't do it again flag. To me, this seems to be an absolute pass. So for president now, if you are, if you get a bad start and somebody is coming up the inside of you, you can absolutely make it clear that you are going to drive towards the edge of the track. And if that driver yields and says, oh, you are shutting the door and you are crowding me off, I have to jump off the track or brake, that is now allowed. So as long as when Hamilton decides to zip across the track just to shut the door and forces someone off, as long as that's allowed next time, I guess we've got consistency. That, that's always been allowed. It's self-policing because you don't want to make contact. The car moving across doesn't actually okay. want to hit that car. And they'll quite often come off worse. If, if Vettel had continued across, he would have got significant damage. So it's, okay. that's well, why the, yeah. I think it is always allowed. It's, it's always, especially at the start like that, there's always this peripheral vision consent mm-hmm. where okay. people see other cars moving from side to side and you adjust your line to give them space. But okay. if you wanted to force it into a, a fault position, where mm-hmm. someone is going to be at blame for a thing, you have to stand firm okay. and hold your line. That's fine, but that's fine, except we've got precedence of when Leclerc did it, exact, nearly exactly the same, first lap, all so the same kind of circumstances. Just remind me that exact one. That was at Monza uh, when he moved to the outside. Hamilton also avoided the incident, and it was deemed to be an offence, but his punishment was only the black and yellow oh. flag. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay, so this was uh, coming down into the, yeah. the first... Uh, the, the, First chicane after the turn one. Yeah, I, I remember. I'm trying to think why that was different and why I would have judged that differently. Um, I think, was that not because Hamilton had already committed to a breaking point? And so at that point, Hamilton doesn't have a choice to to do anything else. And if Leclerc moved to his right there, he really is forcing him off in a, a slightly different way. Okay, Matt, round this up for us. Uh, to me, uh, it's simple. If Vettel had carried on to the edge of the track and... Lewis had had to move all the way off to avoid contact. That would have been penalty battle, no question. As it is, it was racing between two people who respected each other, and neither one of whom I heard complain about it at the end of the race. Okay, uh, let's move on to the little scuffle between uh, Verstappen and Hamilton into that corner. I, I, it, it looked like I thought that Verstappen just lost a little bit of control and slid into Hamilton. But Christian Horner was talking about Hamilton sliding. So, Brad, how did you see that one playing out? Yeah, I watched this one in detail because um, I obviously assumed we were going to talk about this. So what actually happened was um, they went in side by side. Neither of them was on an ideal line. Um, Obviously, Verstappen was pinched slightly. He couldn't use all the track and Hamilton was running wider than he might want to. So they're they're kind of on the wrong bits of track and on the ideal part, um, both with a bit of steering lock on. And, And initially... Verstappen has a moment of um, oversteer. So Verstappen briefly loses the rear. Almost immediately afterwards, Hamilton has nearly the exact same thing happen. But in correcting that, that put him very deep for the left-hander. And because Verstappen was alongside him, that forced Verstappen to then have to cut the corner and, and drive off the track. So they both had their own independent moments of oversteer. Um, I assume just getting on the power on the exit there on cold tyres with some steering lock on. Um, and it's just that Hamilton's moment of oversteer really inconvenienced Verstappen. There was no there was no contact between them and there was no um, uh, nothing malicious or nobody really did anything wrong. It was just oversteer, small mistakes from both. 
I, I think there was contact between them. Uh, Verstappen lost some wing, and Hamilton actually suffered some fairly uh, significant-looking floor damage. But it wasn't contact that it wasn't um, Verstappen touching Hamilton, which made Hamilton have oversteer. Ah, it yes, was, it was contact after Hamilton had done that and went really deep into the left-hander that Verstappen wasn't expecting. Yeah, it was a great save by Hamilton, but you know it did result in contact in the both of them uh, pretending to be rally cross drivers for a brief minute. I am really, really surprised that, that that didn't end in more carbon fiber. And in the end, I think they both did pretty well. There was a point where they could have both kept pushing to stay on the track and stay past each other. And I think, to be fair, they both yielded and they both, they both lost out. However, whose fault is it? Who are we blaming? Because I know Paul DeResta, someone's pointed out, Paul DeResta said it was Hamilton's fault. That is exactly the same as Hamilton complaining about tyres. Paul DeResta blaming Hamilton tells us nothing about who was to blame. All right, so let's be clear. The contact, absolutely, positively, Hamilton's fault. Really? However... The first one, after turn one. However, I blame... I would blame Vettel, because he he was responsible for Hamilton being there and for Stappen getting up there. But in the end... I'm going to blame Max, because if he hadn't had the original penalty, if he'd just done the sensible Uh, thing in qualifying, none of this would have happened. So I think clearly Max's fault. There you go. So I just want to say, Clappers has mentioned in the chat um, that the broken bodywork on Hamilton's car, that piece of floor, uh, the kind of right rear, um, that was in exactly the kind of position where where Verstappen was um, when they were alongside. So maybe there was a slight bit of contact initially that I didn't see. Um, but I'm, I'd still say that I think Hamilton's big moment of oversteer was uh, an on throttle, um, you know, power oversteer. Um, I don't think it was, I don't think that was caused by the little bit of contact if there was some. But if, if I'm talking about whose fault the, the final outcome was, yeah. um, I'm going to pin that on Hamilton because he was the one that effectively drove straight across yeah. the racing line yeah, and uh, left Verstappen with nowhere to go. And I thought, Max did a really good job of not clattering into the field as he rejoined. Um, so I, I think a, it was a bit more so. deliberate than that because I, I think that I, I blame Max for the first bit of contact. And I just think Hamilton had a little bit of tilt of like, no, 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 you don't. And he made sure that on turn two, the left-hander, he was going to go all the way to the outside. So I think Hamilton was always going to go all the way to the outside to shut the door and actually wasn't in as much control of his, as he could have been and even went further and ended up with them both going off and not just him. Uh, one more whose fault is this, I think. Oh, no, we've got two. Oh, God. The, the, the next one involves uh, Max Verstappen as well. My goodness, the wonderful the wonderful tales of the swashbuckling Max Verstappen. If there's one thing that is clear from this weekend, either something was off with Max today or he just has some genuine... I don't. I don't want to say maturing to do, Chris, but this was not his best show. And we do have to remember he is still very much a young lad who has a kind of Michael Jackson scenario where it's all been put on him from such a young age. Every now and then, it's just gonna and it's just gonna come out. And this weekend, he has he has been three years ago Max Verstappen all weekend. Yeah, yeah, he's he's clearly been driving very angry. Uh, not least probably because of what happened after qualifying. Uh, he It was very clear that he wasn't you know, taking no for an answer from anyone on track. Uh, and it's it's as if, remember at the start of uh, 2018, when he would he was just hitting everything uh, because he couldn't 
pick the situation and, and when to to choose his battles. And he got so good at, at that over the last year uh, since he since Monaco that year. And he's been really, really good at that. And the first half of this season was amazing for him. But suddenly he's just regressed back into this, yeah, you know, back into his uh, 18-year-old self. I mean, for one, for one weekend, Brad. I think that uh, a number of incidents that he has been involved in this weekend have conspired to make it look like what Chris just said. But I actually don't. I think, okay, the yellow flag thing in qualifying was his fault. Um, but I think the first corner, as I just mentioned, I think that was mainly Hamilton. Certainly, Max didn't do anything particularly wrong there. And I think the puncture was Bottas's fault. I think right. I Max made a, a great move and Bottas turned towards him and hit his tyre. That's the, you know, it was a late move. We could discuss that um, specifically. But yeah, the, the actual contact was because Bottas drove into his tyre. So. Max, Max was reporting... Um, that issue before that contact mm. as early as as lap one apparently what oh, no, it's it's might have been a might have been a I, slow puncture i'd be very very skeptical nah, about the, that. the way it came off contact, it didn't. and he immediately had a puncture um on the very next no straight. i know it i know it's really weird but apparently that's that's what he said on the radio okay well um i i'm not sure about that go matt the one doesn't necessitate the other being wrong. If you look at the way the tire came apart, it looks like someone took a box cutter to it and it just turned into a pizza, the sidewall. And that's not a slow puncture, I don't think. Uh, okay, so but let's talk about... God, come on, guys. We're getting into technicalities. We've got to assign blame here. It, what was Bottas thinking? Was he just thinking that, that Max was going to get past a lot quicker? It, it, hang on, here you go, here you go. Here's my amateur assessment, Brad. Max Verstappen, that was such a good move, such, such a good move from quite far back. And he had to do a lot of work getting on the brakes and making sure he stopped for the corner. Did he just stop for a long time? Because he, he knew he was past, it was almost like a block pass. Once he, he got the line, it was not really about making the corner anymore. It was just about getting stopped and making sure he was in Bottas's way. And it didn't matter how long it took him to get away because Bottas couldn't have driven around him. I think you're pretty much spot on there. Yes. Um, and for any new listeners, I just want to point out that when we're assigning blame here, we're not necessarily saying anyone did anything intentionally. I don't think Bottas meant to hit no. Verstappen at all. No, no, no. But I think exactly what you said there, Spanners, it just was an overtake which took slightly longer than Bottas was expecting. He obviously allowed the move to happen. He didn't just chop across him. You know, he, he allowed enough space for Verstappen to come through. And then at some point, he has to turn into the corner. And it just so happens that he turned in a couple of tenths of a second too early and then had to straighten the steering and then go again. But by that point, they'd already touched. And and as we all know, it's quite difficult to judge precisely where your front wing is, where you can't yeah. see it. And they're very wide. And so it was just, just a very small misjudgment, but obviously it had big consequences for Verstappen. Yeah. And, um, but Bottas came off absolutely fine, obviously. Yeah, so Bottas's fault, but quite innocuous. Uh, maybe unfortunate, and maybe it exacerbated an already existing issue with Verstappen's tyre. Uh, Chris, what on earth was going on with Hulkenberg and Kvyat? Like, I'm gonna, just from seeing it once. I only saw it once, Chris. But my instinct is, where's Kvyat's head at? That was ridiculous. Yeah, the torpedo living up to his name there again. Um, it was, I mean, to be, I can understand why he went for it. Like Dan there on the brakes, final corner of the race, uh, for one more position, slight bit of desperation because he's cost himself a points finish there. Um, but, uh, yeah, really, really silly move. 
Uh, okay, let's um, let's get on to Formula B then, because we're running out of time. I genuinely thought we've got no time to pull together show notes. We're going to be scrabbling around come the hour mark, desperate, looking for things to talk about. As always, Matt, I got that completely wrong. I do want to talk about Formula B because it was a fascinating battle for best of the rest. I put a shiny penny on Perez simply because of the tyres and because I thought the tyres were going to dominate. And he, he had a really good run, but I, I did think Ricciardo was going to come back and get him. And in the end, it was, a, it was quite a spicy battle. It was. It was more exciting than the battle at the front because it was closer. In, in a way, it was tenser at the front, but at the back, Ricciardo, with the stint, long stint, and Perez executing flawlessly the strategy his team had set him, coming together in the last laps, less than a second between him, and unlike the Red Bull, where he could regularly just outbreak someone by 50 meters or so, this time, it was an all or nothing, only one shot, and Ricciardo locked up, straight on, smoke everywhere. He's still going off track, came out in front, yielded properly the position, and into the stadium went Perez to the cheers of the fans. I mean, you could not have scripted a better battle for the folks at Liberty. Right. Where should we move on to? Oh, uh, yeah, that absolutely fantastic battle with uh, Ricciardo going for it down the inside into turn one and then sort of coming a cropper and rally crossing across. And uh, what I love about that turn is you can do a Hamilton and you can just keep it planted and hope that the stewards don't penalise you and that you're going to get away with it. Or you can do what Ricciardo did, which is look to the side, wait for Perez to come through and then and then line up. So a good result for the for the home crowd there, uh, I reckon. Are we ready to go to the podium, Matt? What, what, have we, what have we got left out? Oh, no. Formula B. Oh, McLaren. Oh, Norris, Bradley, Philpott. A... It looked like they were going to be best of the rest. It looked like they basically pulled the Ferrari, but in Formula B. Yeah, a couple of laps in, they were sitting really pretty, weren't they? Um, I, I'm a little bit of a, as you know, a little bit of a McLaren fan in the background. Um, and I was really disappointed at that pit stop. And it must just be so gutting. Norris is having a few tough breaks and, uh, you know, nothing, nothing that he could do. It's just, do we know what was, what was happening with, um, with that particular stop, I saw an engineer explaining to him what had gone wrong, but obviously we couldn't hear it. Is it just trouble getting the wheel nut on? Uh, there were obviously a few of these today. Yeah, it, it does look like it was just a, a straight up huzz situation, wasn't it? And it's unlucky, but I think for Lando Norris, the bad luck is is well publicised. So people know it's it's not him just doing badly and the script of rookie having a bit of bad luck and not doing quite as well as Carlos Sainz isn't going to hurt him as much in this season because really you know what's Norris fighting over this season Chris he's still going to finish this season going McLaren love me everyone loves me I've shown I've got the pure lap time we're good we're good it's clearly got a long-term future with McLaren and the guys come into Formula 1 with such an amazing track record um, and even though in, in Formula One there are very few places to hide, it's very very clear that Lando has got a bright future in in, in Formula One, especially doing the things that he has done with a, a McLaren car. That you know, although okay, yeah, it's top contender in Formula B, but I still call it underperforming. And as a unit, it underperforms uh, operationally speaking. That is, uh, and he's clearly got a good bit of feist. He's been quicker than Carlos on occasion, which you wouldn't expect as a rookie. Carlos is very experienced. So yeah, there's no pressure on him to, to 
beat Carlos weekend in, weekend out. But even with that, uh, without that problem, without the pit stop problem, there's no guarantee that Norris would have been able to stay in that good points paying position as Sainz obviously really struggled throughout the race. Um, couldn't keep the, it was on hards, wasn't he? And he just still couldn't keep them alive. So Norris may well have had the same problem. Yeah, very much unlike a lot of the other teams, McLaren, uh, with their aero philosophy, really had a hard time with the hards. I don't, sorry, I said that poorly, hard time with the hards. I don't really know why that was, but I suspect it had to do with the downforce they were running. Perhaps they were just having some difficulty getting that tire into the proper window to make it perform fully. And did anybody catch how, and was it just on racing skill, did Robert Kubica just outrace George Russell today, Chris? Well, so I don't know if George had anything wrong with his car, but we did get to see uh, yeah, the, the moment that Kubica overtook him. And I was like, 26-year-old Kubica all over again. Brilliant, brilliant movie. Just launched out the inside and just frightened George away from the apex. It was amazing. I'm, I'm still waiting for, uh, for Kubica's driver parade because I think he's on his way out of Formula One. I'm still waiting for the rest of his colleagues to sit there with a with their hands held over in an arch, holding their steering wheels or something. Uh, what would the movie be? In the movie, they'd be holding their steering wheels instead of swords, like uh, they do in Officer and a Gentleman or something like that, and just give a massive salute to the guy who came back to Formula One with one arm and did not in any way disgrace himself. I'm going to say that every race review till we get to the end of 2019. Let's move on to the podium. Oh, Steve Armstrong is informing us that Russell finished ahead of Kubica in the end. Ah, oh, well, that's ruined it. At least he was there. He was being all racy against a lad that everyone rates. So props to him. Uh, the Mexican podium, always fantastic. The idea of the car, when they said they were going to put the car on the podium, Chris, I, in my head, I thought it was just going to be like a crane was just going to harness, was going to pick it up and was just going to plonk it on the podium. Thankfully, what they did was a lot cooler. Now uh, we got a WWE style entrance. Uh, it was almost fittingly almost like a Rey Mysterio um, entrance, given it was the Mexican Grand Prix. The the Americas. The Amer- I'm not going to mess this up again. Where did we decide Mexico was? Central America, North America, North America, okay. Mexico. In that case, right? The North Americans just do showbiz better than we do in Europe. And that was that was brilliant. I loved all that. I loved him because he Hamilton had his arms in the air and the podium just had a better tone. So when he got his trophy, he was all really pumped up from being, you know, raised up through the floor with his Formula One car. And it was much, much more exciting than than some of the more dour podiums in Europe. The only massive fail was the 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 driver. They had a like a driver mascot in a helmet. The and, mariachi driver. Yeah, and he had like a selfie, a live selfie stick that was attached to the broadcast. So that was cool that he was trying to do that. But no one had told the drivers and they were, they were just going, no, dude, look, no, who are you? Dude, we're fine. We're celebrating. He was so desperate for well, he'd the been, drivers to, be to, fair, like, to he'd, like him. He'd been told to do that. Just no one had told the drivers. See, this is the, I don't know if this is a bit of a culture clash because I know that me and Matt sort of butted heads on this earlier in the week about like uh, commentary style in the US versus in the UK about how US commentators just they don't talk for the first half a lap, which I find astonishing because that's their job. But for, for me, 
the podium was a little bit cringy. So I don't know if that's like a like oh, a culture clash. You are, yeah. I, I, I wasn't a. I'm not. I. It was. It was a bit cringy. It was quite cool watching the the car getting raised onto the podium, but there was like this whole massive mood swing between yeah. that and then the anthems being played yeah i know no to me to me we can get rid of the anthems I, i've never liked the anthems stand there duh, duh, and, and okay as, prou- as proud as you might be of your national anthem the british national anthem is not a party tune and it's awkward just watching the people sat there going yay and all their excitement all the excitement from coming out you've come first woo yeah duh, 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 duh. and then it's like halfway through and then it's finished and then we've got to listen to the german one as well oh it completely kills the mood get rid of the national anthems we we don't need them put the flag there say hooray or just play a little bit of it and and get that mood going but chris you have just you've summed up the worst thing about british culture which is the oh look at him how cringy he's actually trying he's openly enjoying himself come on stiff up a lip be damned let's have fun no, you know me. I can't be seen <laughs> to be trying. I'm too cool for trying. Okay, too cool for school. I Then I hope you are extra annoyed at the US Grand Prix where they give it the whole, in the red car, it's Sebastian oh. Vettel spinning his way to the start line. If they do that, do you remember what they did a couple of years ago? Yeah, it was with great. the whole announcement it thing? Was, it was amazing. I loved it. It was so bad. <laughs> Uh, before we give out our, our awards, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. We are a ad-supported podcast, but if you'd like an ad-free feed or you would just like to support us, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Apex. There is a first tier, which just gives you a feed where you can listen to it ad-free. And I think that's a fair exchange. Or you can support us at the higher tiers. Join us in our fun Slack group where we hang out during the during the race and have a good chat there all throughout the week, in fact. And also you'll get the patron podcast, which is objectively worse content, but it is a little bit more personal and you get to know the guys maybe just a little bit better, but you have to tolerate no editing. And like on the last patron podcast, the last 20 minutes was just shocking broadcasting. We should not have published it. However, we were too highly fueled on whiskey to remember to edit that out. So, so it all went out. Uh, and uh, what else have we got? Coming up, we have, uh, I should say it again, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Coming up this week, we've got a double header on Tuesday. At 8.30 UK time, we're going to speak to Matthew Carter, who we've not spoken to for a while. Uh, he's going to be talking to us about all things going on at Renault, Ocon, because there was a few people that said he got it wrong about Ocon. But if we roll the tape back, which we will, he got it pretty spot on. And then Joe Sayward, who is on North American time, is going to come and join me in the shed, at, uh, I think, about 11 p.m. So I'm going to do the Carter show. Then I'm going to do another live stream with Joe at about 11 and treat myself to a lion on the Wednesday. And then we'll probably have a normal show. Is it always? Oh, is, it, is it Austin next weekend? Is it a double header? Yep, there it is. My instinct told me that. Um, yeah, so there we go. So we'll do the same thing as we did this week. We'll do the race. And then we'll go straight into the race review as quickly as we can. Uh, you can follow Matt at MattPT55. Search Bradley Philpot on all your social media platforms to catch up with the fastest person in the shed. And you can catch up with Chris Stevens at ChrisOnRacing on Twitter. Follow the show at MissedApexF1. And follow me because I'm the best one. Look, I'm the only one that bothered with the Day of the Dead face paint for the Mexican Grand Prix again. Brad, you joined me one year. Where's your makeup? 
Because I'm in a hotel in Northern Germany, um, having just traveled here this afternoon, I didn't bring my makeup <laughs> kit with me, I'm afraid. Um, that's a, that's a 10 ne- place year. We'll call that a black and white flag. But next year, okay. I want a black and white face. Follow me at Spanners Ready and on Facebook, you can follow us as well. Uh, search for our, our page and for our chat group too. And what else? You can, uh, hang on, YouTube. That's the one. Steve would kill me. Subscribe to us on YouTube and you can join us on the live stream. Search for Mr. Apex Podcast and you can chat with us live. Make sure you subscribe there. Matt. Sorry, I'm reading the chat room and someone just came in with a comment that might be a winner. I'm just going to say. <laughs> okay. And thank you, N1Julian, who's just joined the stream and says, have we reached the part where Spanners forgets comment of the week? Well, not now. You've ruined it because I will definitely, definitely remember it. We have our good award, the Good Thing Award, which we've never, we've never come up with a good title for this. So, Chris, who wins the Good Thing Award, the Thing of the Weekend Award for you? It's a really tough one. I have a lot of Mr. Apex Awards. I don't know if I have anything that anyone did brilliantly. I guess just maybe Lewis. No, no. Uh, Perez. Cop out, but Perez. Perez. Best of the rest. Yeah. Well, you you're appealing to to my biases there, and uh, anyone who says Chris is phoning it in, right? Just I will fight you. I will absolutely fight you. He's not. He's doing very oh, well. No, I, I need to disagree with you, uh, Ricardo. <laughs> you, you're disagreeing with me. Agreeing with you. Okay. Brilliant. Fantastic contribution. Uh, Matt, who wins your thing of the weekend? Well, I'm assuming you're taking Perez and Ricardo. Being one of my shouts is hot. But you know who I'm going to give it to? I'm going to give it to the McLaren pit crew. Because I do believe they all ran a sub 10 second 100 meters to get Norris back into the pit lane and properly attach his tire. No, 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 no. I get that. But you can't get credit for just fixing your mistake. That's like when you, like Albon, didn't he get driver of the day because he spun out and then fought his way back through the grid. No, this is it. We we give driver of the day to people who qualify badly and then overtake a few backmarkers. I will point out only one person made that mistake, but the entire crew recovered the situation. Hi, Spanners here, dropping in with some information that has emerged while I'm editing the show. I don't normally do this, but I want to give a massive shout out to the McLaren team who sacrificed a race result today for safety. It turns out that that wheel wasn't loose at all. It's just that the front left mechanic could not verify and could not hand on heart say that that wheel was attached properly. So they got him to pull over so that they could check it rather than risk sending him out with a loose wheel. And I understand how difficult that decision must have been. And I I absolutely applaud it 100%. So fantastic for McLaren heartbreaking for Lando Norris, but that that's Formula One. And, and I'm really happy to see a team having the correct priority in my eyes. So sorry for the interruption. Back to the show. Bradley Philpot, who gets your thing of the weekend? So it doesn't have to be a, a who, does it? It can be just a oh, yeah. thing. Is it can right? be an emotion if you want. It can be an ethereal concept. So my thing of the weekend was the Formula One tune played in a Mexican style pre-race. That was quite cool. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, I'm going to give my thing of the weekend. Ah, I could give it to Perez. That would be too easy. Perez on his day, he's brilliant. And I really, I won't, I, I, I find it hard for people who don't rate that Perez on top form 
is is a fantastic driver and who, who's up there with the with the best of them. I would love to see him just get another little sniff of, of glory and of opportunity again. But today, I think he's shown that. Fair enough, the consistency might not be there. But I'm going to give it to the Mercedes pit crew because that Bottas car looked quite damaged. And I think there was some doubt as to whether they could manage it without a penalty. And they did. And they got him sixth on the grid. And Bottas played a vital part in the Mercedes victory today. So had they not managed that, they wouldn't have outgunned Vettel in quite the way they did. It can't be all positivity, can it? It can't be. We've got we've got to have a, a bad thing award too. Oh no, you missed the apex. Who missed the apex for you, Chris Stevens? The mariachi driver, hands down. It was <laughs> he was just doing so his dis- job. It was disgusting to watch. Uh, but that is disqualified because you are just generally a killjoy and you're just going to give missed apex awards to anyone trying to have fun or doing anything different. Okay, fine. Your face paint. My, I look beautiful. I look amazing. In fact, what you're really doing is you're slating Mrs. Spanners who adorned me with this very festive Day of I, the Dead face. I'm not saying it's not good. I'm just saying... Mm-hmm. But no. that, that's because you're young and hip. That, that's what he's doing, Matt, isn't it? He's going, God, look at him. He tried. All I got to say is put down that shovel now, young man. <laughs> uh, hey, I am so in the Halloween spirit. I've spent my day yesterday making box troll costumes. I'm all in. This is this is a dad face. Uh, Brad, no, Matt, missed Apex Award. Yeah, I've been thinking about this. It's really tough, but I'm going to go with Haas. I mean, they knew they were going to be bad, but uh, maybe just Grosjean, because didn't the Williams finish in front of him? I mean, just like, ouch. Yeah. Just what, ouch. What is, ouch. What is Grosjean doing at the moment? Like, he just seems like a really, he seems like a nice bloke, but he only draws attention to himself when he's either being beaten by the Williams or crashing in the pit lane at Silverstone. Bradley Philpott, driver pro, Nürburgring VLN champion, and winner of several missed apex karting event trophies which you're now bound from forever it doesn't matter how much weight we put on you you're still going to ruin everything and win bradley philpot who gets your missed apex award so i think it's james vowels um the the more important of the two people that came on the radio for lewis today when after the race he he got his words mixed up and he said something like i think he was trying to say good job and he said something like well job. Yeah. Like, no. He was trying to say well done and good job at the same time. I it, don't it think that was James Vowles. I think that was, was his race engineer for the day. I think it was Mark. I, I don't know his name. But Okay. They both yeah. they both said something. Um, so one, one of them mucked up. So you, you would have to have think that. he's like the understudy. So so that guy's job is to kind of be like it's not the strategist, is it? He's like the liaison and the the guy who's trying to make him race as well as possible. So he's he's not there going, oh, you need to pit because your tyres are going to fail. This is the guy that's going to say, you need to be braking more at this place. You need to be, you're, you're taking too much of that out of the tyre here. That I think that's the the Bono role, isn't it? And that, and they become kind of quite symbiotic. Performance engineer. Yeah, so they become that? quite symbiotic. So this lad who was on there today, he might be just as good as Bono, but he hasn't got the experience of being on the radio and doing that in-race communication. But yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, that stood out like a sore thumb for me as well. I actually thought he did a really good job of of putting up with Lewis. You know, Lewis quite often says, guys, give me feedback. I need you to tell me what's going on. And when this guy was trying to be quite informative, even like one lap to go, Lewis was like, leave me alone. Yeah, no 
But I sort of agreed with that because everyone's holding their breath. And then in quite a cheery tone, he goes, OK, Lewis, that's uh, one lap to go. Good luck, fella. I'll see you at the end. And quite predictably, it came back like, what are you doing? Like, just shut up for a bit. Uh, so I found that quite amusing anyway. But it's never hard. It's never easy to step into someone's shoes. So I think the whole Mercedes pit wall won the race as much as Lewis Hamilton did today. I can't believe no one's given the Missed Apex Award to Max Verstappen. Seriously? No one? The guy who, A, ignored yellow flags, dropped the ball and shopped himself. He completely played himself in the press conference, got himself hauled in for a penalty, whereby all accounts I'm gleaning that he then admitted that he saw the yellow flag, not just knew that Bottas was crashing, got himself a three-place grid penalty, which is getting away with it, then crashed into another driver in turns two and three, which the panel is split between whose fault that was, but he's at least partly responsible, then managed to put himself in a position to get hit by Bottas. Again, we've blamed Bottas, but would a driver with a different headset have been in that situation today and then manages to get himself tangled up with the harses as well? I think there's... Am I being too harsh? Surely there's no way... In fact, the only people who are more Miss the Apex Award worthy than Max Verstappen are all the people who voted him Driver of the Day. And can I say that Driver of the Day continues to be a worthy and worthwhile use of all our time. Long may it rain. One last award, a Pony Award. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. I mean, I mean Hamilton, for sure, isn't it? It wasn't just the fact that he said, I think we made a mistake. It's the fact, Matt, that he said, I think we've made a mistake 85 times in four laps. Yeah, to the point where you begin to wonder, is this just like a subtle psychological ploy that Mercedes now runs on Ferrari just for giggles? (laughs) I don't think it is. I I would love to think that they're in the strategy room going, uh, okay, Lewis, you know the plan. After the first stop, you have to complain about your tires. You will complain about the tires for four laps and then we will really have them. It's no, it's not that. It's what Brad said. He's got a disproportionate view of his tyres. The second they go off, he thinks, the tyres are bad. They're not how they were out of the box. I want to. I want new tyres so that I can go. And he hasn't got the bigger picture. But the fact that that doesn't seem to have landed after all these years. Is there something in the, the Junior Series, is there, uh, Brad, where the tyres are, are just more durable because you, d- you can't afford to be changing tyres every five minutes. So you grow up with harder tyres. Um, there are definitely other series where the performance of the tyre is more consistent. Most series aren't, aren't like Formula One, where you've got this deliberately um, quickly wearing tyre for the show. Most series, um, the tyre will perform a lot more consistently throughout a stint. Um, so although the performance will drop off, it's nothing like the level in Formula One. Um, so so yes, to answer your question. But uh, Formula Two and Formula Three at the moment, what is the new Formula Three? Uh, that that restarted or started this year to replace GP3. Um, they do run like the high deg Pirelli. Um, yeah, they like, didn't. They didn't when Hamilton was coming through the ranks, though. No, no, of course. It was a lot but, more like the traditional, you know, really grippy tires, which also have really decent life. Oh, I didn't spot. Uh, firstly, uh, two things I didn't spot. Uh, what happened to Roman Grosjean at the beginning? And secondly, did Mercedes do their fake pit stop? Uh, where they come out, pretend they're doing a pit stop and then go back again. I missed it this race, although they have done it a hundred races in a row in the past. So I don't know whether they did that. Now, what happened to Grosjean? Anyone? 
at the beginning. No, that put him right down the back. Oh, no one caught that as well. I, I thought, I thought, I thought someone would have seen Matt. You must have seen what happened to Grosjean. Uh, wow. Okay. Sure, I did. He made a mistake, and a thing happened. Yeah, oh, and then the chat room were going. Don't know. I think Roman Grosjean happened to Roman Grosjean. Oh well, there we go. All right, we've got one award left. Chat room. I remembered it. So put your knives away, Matt. Who are the contenders and the eventual winner of Comment of the Week? I'm just going to be honest. They have made this very, 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 very difficult because I have like 90 comments here. And I know you're going to tell me we probably don't have time for all 90. Not all 90, no. Unless you speak really, really quickly. All right. Well, first, a shout out to David Polchinski chucking in some money in the chat. Thank you very much for that. Always appreciated, chat room. Anytime you want to give us monies for all the things we do here, we will not argue. Uh, our friend European at the very start, if there's one British mechanic at Ferrari, now I have no doubt what his job is. Explain. Uh, Leclerc's pit stop. Oh, I see. You think they put a British mole in there to mess up Ferrari? No, I think Ferrari are perfectly capable of Ferrariing themselves. Uh, yes, uh, we have Paul Barton in with, I think Spanners misunderstood when someone told him he would get more compliments than Matt if he wore makeup. This, Armand- isn't, this isn't makeup. This is face art. How dare you? Thank you for supporting uh, Armand- us in the live chat. Apologies. Armand Erikens disagrees. Just joined in, but Spanners looks better than Trumpets. Dot, dot, dot. Today. The more I cover my face, the better I look. And Brendan Rogers astutely observes McLaren couldn't get a hard... On. Oh, that's a naughty. Oh, I know what you've done there. That's a naughty, filthy pun. No, that can't win. That can't win. Okay, good. I have I have two more. One is Takura Chendov saying, if Chris doesn't get the pony, we riot. Not really. I'm at work. But I think the winner has to be Christopher Fonseca. Coda will have the winning car beer battered, deep fried, and hoisted onto the podium by eagles. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. They're going to have to do something to top that, though, aren't they, Chris? Yeah, it would be quite impressive. Um, I I would, if if we could very quickly uh, just add to the Pony Award contender for this yeah. quote I've just seen uh, on Twitter uh, via uh, Philip Horton from Sebastian Vettel about trophies. We have a great race, but then you get these um, poopy trophies that look boring. Maybe we should have something traditional in the future. There's Heineken written on uh, everywhere. You don't need the flickering star on the trophy as well well two things there firstly i don't don't know why you would bother with that particular brand when you can get a vast selection of craft beers in fact you can get 10 free beers this wasn't planned by going to www.beer52.com forward slash apex and just cover the four pound 95 postage and packaging Yes, that works well. I'm good at this. And the other thing is, Sebastian, you might have been more impressed with the slightly larger trophy if you'd have been able to make your tyre advantage work and overtaken Lewis Hamilton. So is that is he the winner? Christopher Fonseca, you are the winner of... Comment of the Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us in the live chat room. Thank you to those who support us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex. We only survive because of you and we only continue to survive because people decide to come and support us you will get worse extra content you'll get a nice place to hang out during the race and you'll get an ad free feed as well do join us on tuesday for those of you who want to go to bed at a sensible hour 
me and Matt will be talking to Matthew Carter at 8.30 p.m. GMT. And for those of you across the other side of the pond, and even in Australia land, you might be able to stay up at around 11 p.m. GMT. Same day, double-headering it, Joe Sayward joining us from the Americas. Until we see you next, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. done everyone i know it's hard when we have to stay up late and the later we go i mean we are fully into matt's whiskey zone at this point in the night brad's have you had hair of the dog to recover from your your partying no because i've been driving um from the nurburgring up here to pappenberg so i um i got two hours sleep last night um <laughs> woke up in a horrible mess this morning went straight out did two laps of the Nordic life to give some um, guests a ride and then drove up here and so no no i haven't um and it's 1am nearly here Who, who's the movie star in in the simpsons what's his name McBain. McBain, and they say how do you sleep at night and he's this is kind of how i imagine you brad uh on a bed stuffed with money surrounded by many beautiful women <laughs> i reckon that's your yeah, that, that is your lifestyle at the nordschleifer and brad are you aware that you've had purple hair for the entire stream yeah, everyone, everyone keeps saying that. Yeah. I'm, I'm really sorry. It's the combination of the lighting in this room and my not very good webcam. Yeah, it looks wicked though. I think you should. I think that is the future for you: is to go full uh, Villeneuve, isn't it? This is your Villeneuve moment. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.